With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives. But those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Full work limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Salutations, Mets fans, and welcome to another edition of Amazing Avenue Audio, the official podcast of your SB Nation New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. I'm your host, Jeffrey Paternostro, and with me this week is Brian Salvatore. Brian, it has been announced, I think today on Twitter is where I saw it, that the Nashville AAA team now has their own version of a mascot race featuring country music superstars such as Reba McIntyre, Johnny Cash, and George Jones. So if you could create a mascot race for the Mets, I know technically they already have one with various New York City transportation devices, but come on, really. <laughs> what would you do? Uh, I would do a tribute to Queens and have the Ramones race. Mm. Four giant Ramone costumes. I like that. 
Uh, you know, the original four, of, co- of course, uh, Joey, Johnny, Dee Dee, and Tommy. And, uh, yeah, it, it, it would be set to Blitzkrieg Bop, of course. Mm, of course. And uh, they could, you know, show them running through various Queen's landmarks, running by the giant uh, globe in the park and uh, maybe running across the bridge. And then, you know, you bring them in through the bullpen and they, uh, in front of the Mets dugout, they cross the finish line. Got it. So do you have do you have like a Teddy Rose out in here? Just like one of the Ramones always lose? Is there I mean, a... I figure because they went through so many drummers, Tommy would never win. Oh, okay, that makes sense. But you know, yeah, that's uh, that's my idea. What would be your idea? So I actually was thinking along similar lines. Oddly enough, sort of a t- tribute to to New York musical acts, as it were. This is slightly going to repeat, I think, a discussion we had a few weeks ago about changing walk-up musics but i'm gonna go with Mm -hmm. anyway so i'm gonna go with a four-way like new york musical act race but i didn't actually include any of the ramones i'm going with uh deborah harry okay uh david byrne in full like stop making sense giant david byrne suit you have to do it that way yeah uh kathleen hannah Okay. And David Johansson of the New York Dolls. Oh, interesting. I, I, I guess it's kind of silly because I don't have like Frank Sinatra in there, but... <laughs> hey, he's a Hoboken boy. It's true. He's not really from New York. My great-grandmother was his wet nurse. True story. <laughs> <laughs> this is episode 182 of Amazing Avenue Audio. And we have stuff to talk about. The Mets have continued their winning ways back off a 7-2 and two road trip. Won the opener in Cincinnati or against Cincinnati in New York last night. They are playing game two of that series with Bartolo on the mound as we record tonight on Tuesday night. Which is not good. I've scheduled the last two podcasts during Bartolo Cologne starts. It's bad work by me. <laughs> Just scout scheduling them for off days. They have like every Thursday off, but I bowl Thursday nights, so it's not really an option. And also, you know, as fun as it is to watch Bart pitch, he's the least electric of the bunch right now so i did watch a little bit of the game saw him strike out joey Votto on a two-seam fastball which made me very happy gotta love it but i also saw a lot of the mets defense which uh made me less happy and ivan de has just hit a two-run homer yeah he yeah did. sometimes it goes that way for bart we'll not be talking Neil about walker bart. will probably hit six home runs later yeah. today so it's cool we won't be talking about bart on this edition i mean he might come up as he is wont to do we do have a few topics to uh, go over. I'm a little bit concerned about J.R.'s Familia. That will be topic number one. We will also talk, you got to balance the good with the bad, and the Mets have been good. Talk a little about Michael Conforto, who we've alluded to over the first few shows of the 2016 season. We'll dive in a little deeper with him. We'll also have to size up the NL East race, such as it is. It's April 26th. We're not going to go crazy. We'll look at the Nats, how the Nats are doing, and if we're worried about the Nats. And the most recent bad news, Travis Darno going on the DL with a right rotator cuff strain. Then we'll answer your emails and do the usual song and dance at the end of the show. We'll kick things off this week with a segment I'm not calling. I want to be clear, I'm not calling it this because I am going to be 34 in two weeks, and I'm hopelessly uncool, uh, you know, irrespective of that. So I'm definitely not calling this segment 
who did this fam. <laughs> Brian, in my baseball prospectus Mets like preseason bold prediction, I predicted that J.R. Smiley would be the best reliever in baseball. I don't know that I actually believed it at the time. But I wasn't worried about spring velocity. So I don't generally worry about spring velocity. And he looked good against the Royals in his first outing. And since then, yeah, he's been used weirdly. He was under the weather for a while and probably got rushed back from that. And his sinker velocity is down a bit, though I think some of that is sort of queered by him pitching while he was sick. Because mm-hmm. he's been back lately. Like, he looked fine last night, at least in terms of velocity. But he's like a one-pitch pitcher now. Yeah, what happened to the split? So Brooks classified five splits this year of all his pitches. But it's in one start, and it was a start when the velocity was down. So I wonder if it's not confusing his splitter with his two-seamer mm-hmm. at that point. You know, the slider's down three miles an hour. It's not getting swings and misses anymore. He's getting, again, this, we should be clear, the 2016 data set is very, very small. I think we're talking about something like... 10 appearances. 10, it's, it's, I think it's like 100, under 150 pitches total. But yeah, he's right. not getting swings and misses with the slider. 12.5 with percentage versus 27 last year. He's not throwing strikes with it. 71% balls with the slider. And therefore, he's not really getting swings, period. Batters are only swinging at one out of every six sliders he throws. And he's not throwing a lot of them. He's throwing the sinker 82% of the time. And look, even if it's 94 or 97, it's a great pitch. It's a top of the scouting scale, 80 grade sinker. But that pitch alone, he can still miss bats with it. He can get ground balls with it. But it's not, he doesn't command it so well that guys can't barrel it occasionally when they sit on it which they can because he's throwing it 82% of the time. Mm-hmm. So what is happening here exactly? Well, you know, we, we have to toss out the usual caveat. It's been 10 innings. Yes. And, you know, but that's it, it, an, it looks different. It does look different. And I'd say it started looking different probably, what would you say, second week of the season? Yeah. Well, I mean, he wasn't trying to split at all in the playoffs, really. Mm -hmm. especially as we got deeper in the playoffs and at that point you can be like oh well cold weather he may not have the feel for it it's very much a feel pitch but he didn't throw it a ton in the spring and he's not hasn't thrown it all in the season so that's sort of the first and foremost issue he doesn't have a look against lefties right and if you look at the you know I'm, i'm looking at the game logs right now and you would think once they got to Atlanta, where it was a little bit warmer, where he was probably feeling a little bit better, you'd hope that's where you'd start to see some improvement. But he didn't look great in Atlanta either. He got three hits in one of the games. He um, he walked a batter, which is something he's not, you know, when he's when he's going right, he's not walking a lot of batters. He's just, he just looks like 2013 Familia. And that's not a great Familia. I would say it's more like 2014 familiar. Okay, fair enough. Um, you know, where he didn't miss. And I had some concerns about him coming to 2015, many of which he dispatched with very quickly by throwing a 88 to 90 mile an hour slider consistently in for strikes and then adding a splitter halfway through the season, which was also a top of the scale 
pitch at its best. But without those, you know, he can still be in a very effective reliever when you have a, a, a two-seam fastball as good as his two-seam fastball is. But then you get into the, like, he's a little more BABIP-dependent. He's going to struggle with lefties to a certain extent. You know, sort of the underlying fear here would be that he's hurt, but he doesn't look like he's hurt. No, his stuff just looks ineffective. Yeah, I don't—it could just be a blip. He had a blip like this uh, in the middle of last season before he defeated the split, so I don't know. Uh, but it's one of those things where if you look at his heat maps, uh, he throws everything, as you would expect for a guy that's primarily a, a sinker slider guy. Everything's down in the zone. You know, basically thighs down. If you're going to sort of zone pitches all in the same area like that, you need to show multiple looks. You need balls breaking in different directions. You know, you have to feel for a couple off speeds to be an elite level reliever like we saw at the end of last year. Now, can he still be a, a solid closer? Sure, maybe, but all of a sudden, too, there the it becomes a little bit of a high wire act. There's much less room for error, and there's also nobody on the Mets that you'd necessarily feel comfortable with being the closer if he falters. I mean, I guess it would be Addison Reed, probably, which is it's fine. It's okay. Um, I don't know. I mean, you know, again, caveats apply. It's been 10 I don't want to go crazy, but somebody asked me on uh, Twitter, I think, after the the Braves game where he got knocked around a little bit, if I was uh, where I was on the Panic City meter. Okay. And I'm like, yeah, I, I, I think it's – I'm a little bit concerned. You up to a two? If it was just – I think I, I a little bit concerned was a three. Okay. Two, I was already at kind of at two. It's early, but because of the – disappearing secondary pitches like if it was just one thing if the velocity was just down a little bit or if the slider just didn't look sharp or if he just wasn't throwing the slitter the splitter but was throwing the slider more and the slider looked better but it's just there's a lot of things that haven't looked right all at the same time and again it's not really about results because the results haven't been terrible results have been fine it's about how he's getting them. Is there something to you that is more concerning than the other? Is is the lack of the split more concerning than the lack of the not slider? Th- not throwing the split at all. Mm-hmm. The slider he has throwing just had great feel for it. He snapped off a couple nice ones here and there, but it just hasn't been as consistent a pitch as it was last year. But completely abandoning the split is it's and nobody seems to be asking about it, which is weird. Um, and I guess you know he's he's pitching fine. The team is doing well. It's just one of those things that why I would make a terrible beat reporter because these are the questions I would want answers to, do, to and they wouldn't <laughs> actually like allow me to file a game story on time. <laughs> I mean, there are other reasons I'd be a terrible beat reporter too. But I think that's like the primary one because I would have noticed the thing like, why isn't he throwing a split? He didn't even pitch today. I'd just be like at his locker, which would not go over well probably. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm a little bit concerned as well, but I think that if at 20 innings we're seeing the same sort of results, then I'm going to be a little bit more concerned. I think part of it, too, is just he was so good last year that the, the difference is stark. Even in the playoffs, he looked very good. Yes. You know, you'll, you'll, you'll hear the, the story of the three blown saves, but that's not really a thing. No. Uh, so, yeah. I think – I hope he's going to be okay. I can't get too worried just yet, but like you, I am – I am starting to creep up the Panic City meter. 
And the other thing to keep in mind is that the pitchers of this ilk, you know, hard throwing late inning relievers tend to burn hot and short mm-hmm. as a class. I'm not saying it's that's what's happening to him either, but you know, it's it is something that happens. More often than not, the shelf life on them in general is shorter. It's not all bad news though, because we have Michael Conforto. And we're the only team that does. I'm sorry. Because only one team has a Michael Conforto, and it's the New York Mets. And he's been very good. Again, we're talking about 20 games, roughly. Mm-hmm. But it's just, again, it's the same. It's just, it's basically exactly what he was doing last year. Only Even a little of, bit nicer. Yeah, he's kind somehow. of ironed out the wrinkles a little bit, as it were. Yeah. Um, it's just a little bit of refinement here and there. The approach has even gotten a little bit better. I know I keep going back to seeing him in New Britain last July. Well, I guess it was in Binghamton against New Britain. And sort of the subsequent report I wrote for the site. You know, I, I still got, I will stand by that look and that report. That was a good look. It was a good report. You know, am I going to take solace in the fact that I was higher on him than any other public evaluator at the time? Sure. And, you know, I might end up being even right. You know, I wrote him as a OFP 60, and that might end up being what he settles into, which is, hey, very nice player. But, <laughs> um, yeah, it looks like it could be better than that. Yeah, he's um, he's been impressive. One of the things I, I sort of glommed onto in that double-A look was that he was overly aggressive on well, 2-0 and o is sort of the count I, I use as an example, but when he was ahead in the count, like, he was really geared up to hit a fastball, and you could get him out on his front foot with off-speed stuff, and double-A arms were sort of the first level of arms that could really exploit that, and I saw a little bit of that in that look. And it came back to me last night, because Raciel Iglesias uh, fell behind 2-0 against him and did the same thing, sort of front-footed him on a, on a pretty good changeup. Mm-hmm. And then try to get a fastball by him, and he put it 422 feet on the next pitch. And that club wasn't exactly... I mean, he, he had plenty of raw in Binghamton, too. But he just... he is the, He's figured out the balance, I think, a little bit better. What's been so nice to see is... I forget what game it was now. It was one of the games, I think, against Philadelphia in the first series where he struck out a couple of times, um, two or three times in one game. I think he had a three strikeout game in there. Yeah. He had two actually. I'm sorry. And they were, uh, one of both against Philadelphia actually in the second, uh, series of the year. And this is the second Philly series. And I was thinking, Oh, you know, he's, he's going to get a little bit strikeout heavy, strikeout happy. And, you know, I'll live with that. But since then he's really shown a really nice approach at the plate and I, I think that when he strikes out, it's not like all right, like when Wright's going bad, the slider to the outside is a strikeout pitch for Wright every time. Yeah. He can't lay off that. It doesn't appear to me that Conforto has a place in his swing where he has a clear weakness like that. Yet. And granted, he's still a very, very new player, and I don't know him as well as I know Wright in terms of watching him, but he doesn't seem to have a hole in his swing that way. And if that's the case, man, that's going to be a fun player to watch for a couple of years. They intentionally walked him in front of Duda. I forget who it was, but at some point 
over the last week or so. Uh, it was against it was the Braves. Yeah, it's just one of those great moments where I, somebody made this joke on Twitter, and I don't remember who it was, so I can't credit them. I apologize. But that like the only person that in baseball that doesn't know how good he is is Terry Collins. <laughs> <laughs> but as usual, the Terry Collins in March rule applies because he is starting tonight against Brandon Finnegan, who is a left-handed pitcher. And a good test. He's kind of a weird limb, long limbed, loose, funky lefty. And he is one for two as we record at the moment at airtime. And even Collins said, like, he probably just would have sat Granderson today. So, as always, the Terry Collins in March rule applies. Yeah. Is there a, a player that makes sense as a comp right uh, now for young, you? Young David Wright. That's a hell of a comp. He might actually have more raw power than uh, Wright, too. And he's a little a little less sort of pit tool, bat to ball kind of stuff. I mean, I think he'll probably be a poorer base runner than Wright. Yeah, and he just certainly didn't have, didn't have the same speed that Wright did when he first came up. Or the glove that Wright had. Yeah, and it is tough. Like, he's fine in left field. But it's yeah. t- it's tough to be a and sort of why I go back to I might get bailed out by him being more of a roll six type guy is it's tough to be like a star as an average defensive left fielder. You have to hit a lot, but it's it's like it's not impossible. He puts up one of those three, four, five seasons in there, mm-hmm. and I think I'm a Mets done that since since right in two thousand and uh, eight, two thousand seven, two thousand seven was yeah. And that's, especially in this era, this isn't 2007 anymore. Right. That's a huge line. It's, is there one part of his offensive game that has particularly impressed you this year so far? Um, I mean, I keep going back to sort of the approach. Like, see, well, there's swing and miss there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he doesn't... He's a very strong kid, but some of the raw comes from a little bit of length in the swing. But he just figures out way as the bats go. You can't beat him with the same pitch twice. Like this isn't this isn't a fair comp because nobody has this pitch. But when Syndergaard just threw three straight ninety-one mile an hour sliders in the same spot to get out of a jam yesterday, mm-hmm. like you got to kind of vary your approach against Conforto. To you really have to pitch him like a like a three hundred hitter, even if he isn't a three hundred hitter necessarily. This is um he's like 23. I was just going to say for a 23-year-old with that kind of an approach, with that kind of power, with you know, with just the confidence that he seems to have, it's a really really nice thing to be watching. Yes, we get to enjoy it for at least uh 6 more years. Yeah. I keep forgetting that this time 2 years ago he was still in college. Yes. Playing for Oregon State. The Beavers? It is the Beavers, yes. Yeah, okay. So we look at the standings on April 26th, which is not necessarily something I endorse, but here we are. Mets are three and a half games back of the Nationals, or three games back of the Nationals. They were off yesterday. The Nats are up to a... Rip roaring a fourteen and four start. I haven't looked how they're doing against Philly. I know Velasquez is pitching. Yeah, check this. Oh, the Phillies are winning. 
Good for them. Yay! Who's pitching for the Nationals? Oh, it's Max Scherzer. But the Nats are off to much the same start the Mets had in 2015. We know, all know how that ended. But how uh, how worried are you about the Nats potentially running away with the division, or at least making it an uphill climb for the Mets? Well, you know, nobody likes to see your division rival, your chief division rival, start the year as hot as the Nationals have started. That's that's an obvious thing. But I think when you look at the Nationals, there's a number of places where regression seems not just likely, but very likely. You know, see Murphy, comma Daniel. Yeah, I think he's going to hit 397, 465, 635 all year? I mean, no. <laughs> no, I don't. Uh, you know, I, I think that he's going to come back down to earth considerably. I think it's a miracle that Zimmerman's played in 14 games so far. And that's probably going to stop soon. Um, yeah, it just doesn't seem like, you know, Harper is going to be a beast. Everybody knows that. That's not news to anybody. But, you know, outside of Harper, none of those guys in the team look like they're built for a full season. And I know that kind of comment can come back, come back to bite me in the ass, but I feel like it's just a, it's a team that's going to, when everything's going well, they're going to hit a lot. Their pitching's pretty good. They're going to, they're going to stick around. But th- that looks like a streaky team to me. And, We'll see what happens when the luck starts to wear off a little bit. Well, I think you are seeing what happens when you, there's a, it's a really good baseball team and they're actually healthy. Mm-hmm. So quick quiz time. Can you name every team the Nats have played so far in 2016? Uh, well, they're playing the Phillies right now. Yeah. They probably have played the Marlins and the Braves. They have. And they've probably played. I can't do it. Who's the last team? Or two more teams, right? Nope, just one. They played the Twins. The twins. Okay. So that's it. That's not exactly, you know. And look, that's that was always going to be the game in the NL East. Or really in the National League in general. You got to beat up on the bad teams. And the Nats have played all the bad teams. <laughs> They've played all of them. And they're going to play them a lot more. It's a long season. They're going to lose two out of three somewhere. Um, the Mets don't actually play them until May 19th. Which is, seems crazy to me. It is. It's a weird quirk of the schedule. Or May 18th. 17th. 17th, 18th, and 19th. It's their first series against the Nats. Um, they then play them like... June. They must play them a ton down the stretch. Well, yeah, they have... Six in September, but I think they had six in September last year, too. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's not that different. I don't know. It's just weird they don't play them early. How worried are you about the Nationals? I'm pretty worried. This is a very good baseball team. And I've sort of said from the outset of the season that this is going to be a dogfight for this division. You can't count on, yeah, the Nats aren't going to stay perhaps as healthy as they have so far the first month of the season, but they're also not going to have injuries to the level of 2015 in all likelihood. They sort of, and yeah, Harper's Harper. Harper's going to have an MVP type season. And they did that last year and it didn't make all that much difference in the final accounting. The guy for me is Steven Strasburg. 
I predicted him to win the Cy Young on our snap predictions. For baseball prospectus, I think his sort of early 2015 health issues have hidden how good he is now. Since last season's All-Star break, 95 and a third innings, 123 strikeouts, 15 walks, 1.98 ERA. Yeah, that'll play. Yeah. If you want to look for a weakness, uh, it's the back end of that rotation. You know, if the Mets are going to beat him, assuming they get Harvey and DeGrom right, is going one through five in the rotation against the Nats. Because I don't really buy into Tanner Rourke and, and Joe Ross. And look, I know Tanner Rourke just struck out, whatever it was, 16 twins, 15 mm-hmm. twins, some ridiculous amount of twins. But outside of that game, he's been kind of mediocre, and he struggled as their swingman type last year. Joe Ross has a 0.54 ERA, but again, it's whatever, three starts. So it's really hard to tell what's real. He's not missing bats. He still has a huge split against lefties. He's throwing his change up more this year, but it's getting smoked. So I don't know if that's going to be an improvement long-term. Um, and if that, you know, something goes wrong there and there's an injury or an underperformance issue, it's Lucas Giolito, which is great, but nobody really wants to say it, but Giolito doesn't look like the same pitcher this year as a prospect. Now, I haven't seen him recently, so I, I don't want to get, I don't want to stick my neck out there too far here, but from reports I've seen and people I've talked to, it's, you know, the velocity's down a little bit. He's still not really commanding the curve. Great. He's never dominated a level as a professional. Now, I didn't I didn't push this far when we did the sort of BP Top 101 discussion. I did push for Matt's over... Julio Urias, and I will so little annoyed I didn't get that in the end. And I like think Urias is going to be good, but I think he's he's still throwing five innings a start while Matt's is a major league ready lefty starter. It looks like he's mm-hmm. going to be very good. And Urias might be that. And the stuff's not so much better than Matt's that I can make a strong argument for him. I kind of wanted to make an argument for Matt's over Giolito. I mean, you know, Matt's has done it at the major league level, even a right. little bit. And I get it. This stuff with the the argument for Giolito is that the 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 upside is it's a true ace. I don't think Matt's quite has that. But by the same token, again, he really hasn't dominated a level to even sort of what Matt's did as a prospect. And again, huge age difference because of Matt's background and his Tommy John surgery and difficult recovery afterwards. But I don't know how much that matters for pitchers. I just don't. I don't know if there's a... They both had one Tommy John surgery. Not like Gio does on 150 innings in a full professional season either. I mean, I get it. I don't think you make a... Real case for Matt's or Giolito as a prospect. But at that point, that doesn't really matter. It's like, what are they going to do in the majors this year? That's what matters now for the purposes of this discussion. And I think Steven Matz has a bigger impact. Yeah, I don't disagree with any of that. Um, I think the Nationals are a very good baseball team. I don't know if they're as good of a baseball team as the Mets are. 
I don't either, but I also don't know that... I think it's close enough that they come out in the wash a bunch of different ways. Mm-hmm. And one thing that will affect the NL East race is the health status of Travis Darno, and it's not good. So like we have this conversation every year, because we did. Yeah. Yeah. He went I mean, the- if you listen to Keith Law, it's not a big deal, though. Don't worry. He went on the disabled list with uh, Keith just actually tweeted that uh, they should just go with Kevin Plowecki as their full-time catcher. That's what I mean, yeah. yeah. Oh, I see what you mean. I saw the injury yeah. issues were no. a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> He's on the disabled list with a right rotator cuff strain. Who knows? It's kind of important for a catcher to be able to throw. So I don't. I have no idea how long this is going to take. In the interim, Kevin Plowecki will be the starter. They called up Rene Rivera. From AAA, why that was then reminded they had signed Rene Rivera as a minor league free agent. <laughs> I completely forgot as well. I, I knew that, like, I knew he was playing in Vegas, but it's like one of those things where you're not doing the the daily reports. You don't always remember who's where. Like, I assumed Ray Willie Gomez was playing somewhere, but he just, he just got activated himself uh, in AA. Keeping track of the catchers can be tricky. But functionally, Kevin Plowecki is the starting catcher for the New York Mets for the foreseeable future. So what what, what do they do with Darno when he's healthy now? Well, you know, the um, I think the answer that everybody wants to say is you find another position for him to play because his bat is too important. But what is that position? And if he's playing that position, then who is sitting down? And who's going to be confident enough with a catcher mid-season making these adjustments? To me, you have to keep him at catcher this season. We we can talk about this in the offseason, maybe, but I see no viable path to him playing anything other than the bulk of his games behind the plate. Do you? I don't disagree with that. Um, It's... I don't think we can overreact to... Uh, he didn't hit for three weeks. I don't care about that. He didn't look great throwing, but he was a league average catch-and-throw guy last year, so I don't think that's necessarily a big deal. It got sort of put into stark relief in the Royal Series and in the game Monday against the Reds, but, you know, like Billy Hamilton's gotten very good at stealing bases and is the fastest player in baseball. And Syndergaard, and Syndergaard always had spooked. issues yeah. holding runners. You know, outside of Cologne, the rest of the starters aren't great at it either. And he does enough other things well defensively that I don't really care about his throwing. But you do worry about the injury attrition eventually catching up with his offensive game as well. Mm-hmm. But hopefully, I mean, I think uh, that the, the position that makes the most sense for him with his hitting profile and his athletic ability might be third base. That's a tough ask. I mean, maybe but it's, it's a huge ask. Exactly. It's a like, huge it's like, ask. it's like left field. It's a problem with catchers. It's always been the problem with catchers catching prospects. If they can't catch, you know, it's at best. It's like Joe Mauer, like mm-hmm. post move Joe Mauer. Like it almost never works out great. I mean, like Craig Biggio and Todd Zeal, I guess, are the counter examples, but I think they're both a little more athletic than Darno, and they got moved off catcher faster. Especially Biggio. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, you also figure 
hypothetically, let's say they move him to third base. Well, then where does David Wright play? Yeah. The guy under contract for another five seasons? Uh, four, 2020. Okay. So I guess five if you count this year, too. I yeah. Um, so, you know, where does he go? Because first base doesn't make a ton of sense for him. Second base doesn't make a ton of sense for him. The outfield makes no sense for him with his arm right now. Yeah, by the same token, you see how Darno comes back from this and how his throwing is before you worry about moving him to another position, too. That's true. I mean, you can just... We've said, we said this before with Wright, but just, I guess, really, really hope that permanent DH comes to the National League in the next CBA. <laughs> yeah. Because as much as I love watching Bartolo Colon hit, it's a trade-off for the 2017 Mets might start looking like it's worth it. Are you overly concerned? I mean, I know a shoulder injury for, it's not a, good. for a catcher is not great. It's not good. Uh, On the Panic City scale, where are you with Darno? It's a three. I'm a little bit concerned. Okay. Just not even so much for long term, but medium term. He's not a guy that recovers quickly from injuries in general. And this one's a little bit tricky. How confident are you in Ploiecki's ability to play a month? Yeah, I mean, that's what he's there for. I'm not super worried about that. Even if the bat's not great, he's good enough defense. He he replicates a lot of Darno's defensive skills. Mm-hmm. He's a very good framer. He's probably... Uh, he's a passable catch-and-throw guy now, which is better than he was in the minors. So... You know, if he's 90% of Darno's defense and 75% of his offense, you can live with that for a month. It's catcher. The the bar is very low. And there's a little bit more ceiling in the bat. Yeah, I was just going to say, the bar is pretty low. And the lineup is so deep right now that it doesn't hurt it the way it would hurt it if this was early last year. You can carry carry a 20% below the average hitter for a month in in that lineup right now. Now move on to your emails. Before we do emails, we do housekeeping. This is Amazing Avenue Audio, episode 182. Amazing Avenue Audio is the official podcast of your SB Nation New York Met site, Amazing Avenue. You can find us on the internet at amazingavenue.com. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Amazing Avenue. And join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash amazingavenue. You can find the podcast on iTunes. Just search for Amazing Avenue Audio and you can listen or subscribe right there. I encourage you to do both. I also encourage you to rate and review the podcast. You can also find the podcast on the Stitcher app. Download directly from blogtalkradio.com slash amazingavenue or listen to the embedded player that goes up in the podcast post at Amazing Avenue proper. I'm your host, Jeffrey Paternostro. You can follow me on Twitter at Jeff Paternostro. My co-host this week is Brian Salvatore. Follow him on Twitter at Brian Salvatore. That's not true. Nope. It's not yeah. that. <laughs> it is at Brian Needs a Nap. Everybody else uses just their full name, Brian. Makes my life a lot easier when I'm doing this completely on autopilot while checking to see if we have any last minute emails. We don't. What I, was I just checked. Down, yeah. That was the housekeeping. These are your emails. You can email the podcast at podcast at amazingavenueaudio.com. Only one of you did. It's Liam. Who doesn't know it yet, but Liam has a very special honor. 
Hello there, podcasters. I am writing in yet again to ask you about the New York Mets. Well, that seems appropriate. The specific part of the Mets I wanted to ask about is the pitching. We haven't talked about that much so far. That works. While almost everyone has done quite an excellent job, sans Matt Harvey, hoping and praying it's a speed bump, the Mets pitchers lead the league in opposing BABIP at 344. While they are quite good at producing soft contact, second in the league per fan graphs, I was wondering why this is. Noah Syndergaard, by all measures, is pitching his butt off. Currently has a 341 BABIP, and that's only the third highest out of the starters. Is this just noise in the system, or can you think of a reasonable explanation? I can. Does this mean <laughs> that the Mets rotation could be even better than they are now, or is it just small sample size wonkiness? In addition to asking about the rotation, I want to get your hot take on Neil Walker. I did not watch Walker religiously, so I have no real basis for comparison. Is he making legit adjustments, or is he just being John Buck 2 electric boogaloo? It's doubtful he can maintain a 25.9% home run per fly ball rate. But can you maybe see him reaching 30 home runs just to, to this hot of a start? Is Kevin Long this good at his job? Sorry for the long paragraph form of the questions. It just seems that these are interesting statistical quirks and wanted some feedback. Liam from Philly. I mean, I think most of what you're seeing with the Mets' BABIP unluck is sample size noise. But the Mets' defense isn't good. I, mean, we I was just going to say that. It's not good. Like It's better the, than last year, maybe. Maybe. Um, like, the, the first run the Reds scored tonight was illustrative of this point of like Wilmer Flores wandering halfway down to second base to field a ball that he couldn't really make a play on and David Wright getting eaten up by a eh, medium hard hit ground ball and yeah I mean it does feel like to me anecdotally a lot of balls are finding holes but the holes aren't being closed very quickly and I peeked at it I think I peeked at it this morning the Sort of the B war calculation for pitchers includes uh, a defensive adjustment. You know, using DRS as their base, based on the defenses pitchers that pitched in front of. I think the average Mets pitcher, you would assume that their ERA is like almost a full run higher than normal because they pitch in front of the Mets defense. I think that'll. That it's still like early enough in the season that if you good games of turning balls into outs will modulate that a fair amount and i do think it will come down but this is not a good defense so there's going to be some uh bad issues and it's just anecdotal but you're seeing guys like Cindergard, who is you know to quote liam pitching his butt off giving up some soft contact that just happens to fall right now and part of that is defensive positioning part of that is just luck uh, you know, so I think the Mets' BABIP will probably stay high because of the combination of soft contact and poor defense, but I think you are seeing it exacerbated right now. I agree with that. Uh, Neil Walker. It's funny, I looked it up the other day. It's, it's about 15% above his home run per fly ball average, mm-hmm. which is significant. It's uh, Giancarlo Stanton's home run for fly ball average for his career so you can sustain a 26 percent home run for fly ball rate it's possible you just need to have like 80 raw power actually walker does not have he has zero doubles which is my other favorite fun fact so there might be some home run to fly ball luck in there for sure um but you know it's regression to the mean it's not gambler's fallacy so you'd expect him to 
He's hit 20 home runs a few times in his career. You expect him to be a a 20 home run hitter. He is, let's see, roughly six home runs ahead of that pace right now. So maybe that gets you to 25 for the season. Maybe the adjustments he's made from his from the right side gets you a couple extra in there too. I don't know if I can quite massage the numbers enough, massage the projections enough to get you to 30 home runs, but I'm 20 to 25 from your second baseman is pretty nice. And he's almost a third of a way to 30 home runs. He is almost a third of the way to 30 home runs. <laughs> and, you know... You could also say he's slightly more than a quarter of the way to 30 home runs, how you want to phrase it. I'm trying to be optimistic here, yeah. So, you know, the uh, I would think that he's going to come back down to earth. I, uh, I watched the Pirates a fair amount. I went to college in Pittsburgh, so I, I have a bit of an affection for the Pirates. And, you know, he gets streaky at times, but this is the hottest streak I've ever seen him on. And that might be good for a couple extra home runs over the course of the year. But I don't think this is sustainable by any stretch of the imagination. If he hits 30 home runs, then that trade skyrockets up the list of the best one season rentals the Mets have ever. John Neese like four and or something. Yeah, but that's not going to last either. Probably not. It is April 26th after all. Yeah. Um, I, I think Walker's going to be a nice addition to the team. He seems to be well-liked in the clubhouse for what that's worth. He seems to be slightly less boneheaded in the field for what that's worth than Murphy was last year. And, uh, you know, having a switch hitter, an extra switch hitter in the lineup is never a bad thing, especially when he's starting to get results from the right side. So I can't be too upset about this, but I don't think 30 home runs is necessarily going to happen. That I was, hope it does. Yeah. Why not? It's not... I think they've had, what, Duda is the only 30 home run hitter in recent memory? Uh, you're forgetting one Ike Davis? Yeah, that's true. We did... That's... that's 2000 and... What? 12? I think so. That's not recent memory to me at this point. <laughs> <laughs> that was your email. Of course, you can email the podcast at podcast at... MasonAvenueAudio.com. We have an IFK Gothenburg update, and it's not good. They lost their first game of the 2016 Liga to Orobro SK. 3-2. They're up 2-1. Not good. Couldn't hold it. Disappointing away result. Just bleeding goals at this point. But there's a chance for redemption. They have a midweek game with fellow Swedish powerhouse Malmo FF at home tomorrow. So hopefully they can get a result there. And Anders did send me a message with a clarification. It is Jonkaping S, not Jonkaping SK, and the S just stands for Sodra, which means South. So it's South Jonkaping, apparently. So the ESPN app did not lie to me. That is your IFK Gothenburg update. And now, Brian, I have a bit of news. This is uh, my last podcast. I'm not... Uh, if you've listened to the show for a while, you probably know that I'm not one for, for big displays of earnestness or anything. But uh, my last day at Amazing Avenue is April 30th. It's been kind of a crazy five years. I, I think back, I was 
sitting at my desk at work bored when Eric put out a uh, put out some feelers for a for more minor league coverage. So I think probably Alex and Rob were going nuts at that point. I submitted some sort of writing sample, I think. I could probably find the email. I may have actually done it from my work account, so I might not be able to find the email. <laughs> and now that I think about it. If I my last my first email to Eric Simon. I probably should have Yeah, fifty one to seventy five of many in this way. <laughs> I'm not going back five years of my emails, so I didn't plan this out. But I got hired on. My first piece was a minor league report where I made a terrible portmanteau of Ryan Frazier and Tyler <laughs> Whittington, neither of whom are still in the Met system, obviously, but were piggybacking in Savannah at the time. We were off to the races after that. The podcast came along, I guess, geez, early 2013 now. I don't know if I've actually told the story on the show, how the show got started again. Eric was doing, I think I've told it in other formats, but... Eric was doing a baseball reference sponsor, player page sponsorship drive in which you know he encouraged people to sponsor pages of baseball reference, you know, donate money to baseball reference, essentially. And I did one for Hisanori Takahashi. And then I think Eric suggested I do one for Josh Satin, too. I'm like, I'm already sponsoring Josh Satin. <laughs> But I was doing a different podcast at the time, and he asked what it was. That's the podcast I do every week. Obviously, you pay attention to my Twitter feed, Eric. And uh, he's like, oh, well, why don't you start Mason Avenue again, uh, audio again with Rob? They had done, of course, uh, I think two episodes or something in the end of the 2011 season during the playoffs. So I sent Rob an email. We did a prospect list podcast the following week, and 182 episodes. Well, I don't even know how many it is. It's a lot of episodes. Officially, it's 180 episodes later, episode three. Here we are. Um, yeah, just there's no grand big story here. I'm busy in real life, and my baseball perspectives responsibilities are taking up more of my time than I anticipated. Yeah, this has been in the works for a while. I've been trying to transition some stuff over on the minor league side for the last few weeks, and now it's time for the podcast side of transition so you don't know this well you know this now but you've been listening to your new co-host for the, uh, your new host for the last two weeks as my co-host brian salvatore how do you feel about that brian <laughs> um a little nervous uh you know i i'm i'm not new to podcasts but i'm kind of new to, to baseball writing and podcasting and things so bear with me listeners as i get my sea legs but we have a good staff at Amazing Avenue, and I'm sure there'll be lots of help. And, you know, we're going to have a lot of the same sort of people who have been rotating in and out of the show for the last, you know, year or so. They're still going to be a part of the show. Chris McShane is going to be a big part of the show. And, uh, you know, we'll have to have Jeff on a couple times to talk <sighs> prospects and things. Yeah, you still have the usual cast of Chuckleheads. That's fine. There won't be all that much difference as far as I'm concerned. I will still be an avid listener. There'll probably be equal amount of Mountain Goats references, maybe slightly less. Yeah. Less pro wrestling, um, less Swedish soccer, which I know will come as a, well, a relief to many people. <laughs> I wouldn't necessarily say less pro wrestling. Okay. Uh, we'll still find some some time for there, for that sort of thing. Uh, certainly less soccer, but that's, you know... That's that, the way it goes. That's a, yeah, <laughs> it's just, that's just the way the cookie that's crumbles, the I guess, goes. in this situation. 
but it's it's been fun, my, my friend, and uh, thank you for shepherding the the podcast to this point. Yeah, I know I said I'm not big on like big earnest statements, but I just want to thank the listeners. You fucking crazy people. 182. I didn't. I haven't actually counted up the hours or the the actual downloads recently, but like I wouldn't be where I am now without with this show without this show and the show being what it was and what it is it's really kind of insane to me that this many people listen to it and every week and write in emails about whatever and put up with my digressions on whatever topic i mean i'm on the i'm on the show because i was a listener to the show first it's how i found amazing avenue really uh, I had I had read it a little bit in the past, but when I started listening to the podcast frequently, that was when I really dug in. So, yeah. And I'm not going far. You can still find me and harass me on Twitter about Dom Smith or whatever it is you people do, uh, whatever you people are interested <laughs> at the time. Not a, a huge change. And, you know, there'll be other stuff and adventures for me at PP. And, yeah, I'll probably still come on the show. I can't, like, I can't say no to you guys. Are you crazy? <laughs> I shouldn't say that. I should say this isn't technically my last podcast. I wanted to make the official announcement here, but Steve and Greg both insisted I come on with them at least once so they can roast me, apparently. <laughs> I really hope they're preparing material for it, or else it could be a complete train wreck. So you'll have that to look forward to. And then next week. You know, one way or the other, life goes on, and there will be another edition of Amazing Avenue Audio.